Welcome to the EuroCleo podcast, Pastimes, Talking and Teaching History. My name is Andreas Holperger, and this episode will be about prejudices and stereotypes in history education and in the classroom. This particular episode uh, has been made in connection with our uh, recent thematic focus and webinar series on this topic. I invite you to go to our website and our social media accounts to check it out. Now, today I'm joined by my excellent colleague, Robin Garganese, who will talk a bit about himself. Welcome, Robin. Hi, Andreas. Thank you very much for having me. For those who don't know me, I am a trainee here at GeoCleo. I studied history before that. And among others, I also focused on stereotypes in my studies. That's why I really look forward to speaking to our guest today. Her name is Cantalyn Morgan. Her educational background is in sociology and educational media analysis, having earned a PhD from the University of Johannesburg in South Africa, analyzing history textbooks. She has researched the topic of the Holocaust in depth, with a special focus on the perspective of the perpetrators. She also has teaching experience in social science, history, computers and curriculum design and has also worked as a managing editor for an educational journal. Currently, she is the education and electives coordinator at the University College of Twente in Enschede. All right, so we start off with a question that I think might seem simple at first, but it's also essential to, uh, to ask um, when we're discussing a vast topic like the one we are talking about. What actually are stereotypes? And above all for our topic today, how do they influence history? History textbooks and history lessons? Okay, well, a stereotype is like an overgeneralization um, to a whole group of people of certain characteristics that should actually be applied to individuals. So you, you're generalizing to a whole group of people without regard for individual difference. But the interesting thing is that stereotypes is a form of abstraction and generalization which is natural and mm. desirable and normal. <laughs> Otherwise, we couldn't make sense of the world. Mm. Um, the problem is that when you ascribe negative characteristics to a whole group of people, then it can be hurtful. <laughs> And the other thing I really want to emphasize is that there's two kinds of stereotypes. There are those that are, have some basis in reality and those that don't. So for example, the ones that have base in re reality, something like Italians talk with their hands and feet in a loud, <laughs> yeah. or I don't know, Germans are unfriendly, hmm. or I don't know, think of your own. And there's some that are completely made up and have no base in reality, like all the Jewish stereotypes, that they've got horns and tails, that they drink blood and right. are responsible for the plague and poison the wells. Those are all completely made up. So I think it's important to bear that in mind. Oh yeah, and the second part of the question, yeah. how did influence, yes, all history textbook writing is a way of generalization. So in a way, you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm because you're abstracting all the time, you, you're generalizing. Um, what teachers, I think, can do is to provide a safe environment to discuss these things, um, which means no recording, no filming, no cell phones. Let the kids just talk about them. Go to the board and say, okay, what are the stereotypes that, that you've encountered? And just be open about it. And the same textbooks, let them admit that they don't know everything that happened. They don't know what a nation is like, what mm. the world is like, and be more humble about what we can know and what we cannot know through history. So, 
The usual strategy in education to counteract stereotypes or to challenge them is learning about the other, about their culture, about their way of life and showing how certain preconceptions are not based on facts, as you explained earlier. So in short, by, by getting to know a certain group of people or nation better. But based on your research literature that you present, this doesn't seem to actually produce the desired results of counteracting stereotypes. Why doesn't this strategy work? Okay, well, first of all, just to clarify, I didn't quite research that, and I'm sure mm. you'll find papers that claim the opposite. Okay, but a lot of mm. these research papers are based on self-perception, mm. and who's going to admit that they harbor stereotypes? Mm. I don't think anybody. Um, but you see, even in your question, you say, uh, by getting to know a certain group of people or a whole nation better, mm -hmm. isn't that the same as stereotyping in a way? Because can you really know a whole nation? Can you know a group of people? Mm -hmm. Can you even know an individual? That's hard mm -hmm. enough. So now, if you're going to go to, I don't know, let's, are you referring to like exchange trips or mm -hmm. what are the kinds of things you're referring to? Um, you really must want to be open-minded. You must want to leave your comfort zone and experience something new. Mm -hmm. And most people don't want to do that. Okay. And especially teenagers, if you force them to kind of change their beliefs in a subtle way mm. by putting pressure on them, then you might find the opposite and they, their stereotypes might get reinforced <laughs> by what right. they experience mm. because you see what you want to see and oh. you don't see what yeah. you don't want to see. And I just I really want to um, bring up, I don't know if you know this, Will Smith's got a new series on, um, on the oh, Disney no. channel. It's called Welcome to Earth. Have you seen it? No, no. <laughs> it's really good because he here's this act, Hollywood actor who he's got all the money in the world and he could do whatever he wants, and yet he chose to f um, confront his own fears. So he's never been camping. Mm. He's got a fear of water, and now he's decided to explore the earth. And mm -hmm. he goes to these extreme places with people who are good at what they're doing, explorers, volcanoes, and the depth of the ocean, and all kinds of things. And he is just amazed of how little he knows about this yeah. world based on his preconceptions and again, not stereotypes because you can't really stereotype about the earth, mm. or maybe you can, <laughs> but the same kind of thinking. So when he has these real moments of insight and revelation, realization, mm -hmm. it's when he's overcome his fear and his preconceptions. So oh, I think okay. it's, it's, there is a research on that. It says the research has shown that one way to avoid letting stereotypes control your thinking is simply to have the motivation not to be controlled. Right, yeah. So you have to have that motivation, and I think that's not a given. Mm -hmm. And is, is there something teachers then can do to, to kind of instill that motivation in their students? Don't try and focus on the factuality of history. Okay? Because first of all, you, you will never really know. <laughs> There's only so much evidence that you can have. Mm -hmm. And... There's so much that you can never know. So focus on things that we can know and that we can do as humans, which is to create stories. Um, and ask questions like, how well can you put together a narrative? How compelling is your story? How convincing is your evidence? How have you presented or packaged your knowledge? Um, and include things like performance or music. Don't, don't shy away from using the creative part of history production, so to speak. Um, what does your choice of words or pictures reveal about your attitude towards the subject matter? What happens if you change some of the words, if you change some of the order of, of things that you've created? And can your audience tell fiction from fact? Mm -hmm. yeah. so, so focus on those things in the assessment, 
rather than just regurgitating a whole bunch of facts. Mm -hmm. Very very interesting to hear your your perspective on that. Um, I I, I wanted to ask uh, a bit more about your own personal experiences because of course it ties in a lot and uh, we understand you're originally from Hungary uh, but you've spent a lot of time uh, living in South Africa, Correct. in Germany, yeah. and now you're based here in the Netherlands, where we're also based. Um, yeah, I just uh, wanted to hear a bit more about your experiences living in these different countries. Yes. And do you see sort of differences? Do you see any uh, yeah, different ways of how educators approach the topic? Um, have you... Um, yeah, has it also informed your research when, when in the, these different places you've been about the topic of stereotypes and, and also in, in textbooks? Yes, so, so in South Africa, the big thing is, of course, race, right? Yeah. In Germany, the thing is being Nazis or not. Yeah. I don't know what it is in the Netherlands. I don't know what the sore points are here. Maybe you can tell me. Uh, yeah, I mean, we think we probably have some idea as yeah, to what could be the sore points. I think, yeah. The colonial past is, I oh, think, a big, a big point, yeah, of course. Yeah. So in South Africa, of course, this racial issue is, is very prevalent and it's always uh, there. <laughs> um, and you just have to be open about it. Uh, in Germany, it's very different because you see the Jews are not there anymore. So you can't really, you don't talk about Jews like you speak about Africans in South Africa <laughs> mm-hmm. because they're not there. And I had a very interesting um, experience with one of the students with the testimonies that I work with, um, with just a bit of background, so I researched how German kids would receive videograph testimonies of Holocaust survivors. And one of, one of the witnesses, his name is Jack Bass, the interviewer asked him, you know, have you been back to Germany? Mm-hmm. And, and then, can I just read you what he says, because I want to quote. Course, yeah. So Jack Bess says, I cannot understand that today Jewish people settle in Germany. I just can't see it. Germany, I've heard so many, I've read so many books after, since I came out of the concentration camp about the history of Jews in Germany. And if you live in a country that in every century persecuted you and accused you of poisoning wells and creating typhoid fever and typhus and being responsible for the plague and so on, um, I don't understand who, why people would want to live there. I would never go back. And then the interview asks him, did you ever go back? And then he says, yeah, I was back in 1972 and I found the people just as bad as they were during Hitler's time. Now, of course, it is more or less uh, cloaked in different languages, in different ways. Of course, now they have to be a little bit more cautious about expressing themselves because there's no more Hitler. But I don't think that the characters changed any. Okay, and then one of the girls, she was really upset about this but like really upset, she, mm-hmm. but she wasn't young. I think she was like 17 or so, so we're mm-hmm. talking about high school. And uh, she says, I found the interview really disturbing and hurtful. This Jack Bass, that is his name, is totally anti-German. He judges even today's generation by what the Nazis did to him, even though I have nothing to do with it. So that was, that was quite a, mm-hmm. a shocking experience for me because she really, really took it personally. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, how do we deal with this now? Like, she couldn't differentiate, first of all, that he, it was back in 1972. He did experience anti-Semitism. Why is that such a big yeah. surprise, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet she felt really that it was her that he was addressing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is that one of the, the bigger challenges when facing stereotypes? Because I have the feeling that a lot of people still take 
and an explanation of a step that like we just heard from you as a personal attack on their yes. own identity and yes. even though of course she was at the age of 17 she was not present and she probably didn't have relatives that witnessed the war but still she felt personally attacked yes so i think this because you, you do belong to a group you know i mean we, we mm. have a group identity and we have a generational identity and um I don't know. I mean, she might not have been involved, but that I have nothing to do with it, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happened in her family history. Yeah. And um, if you get so upset about it, then maybe you should find out why. <laughs> and uh, I think that's what I also want to say, that history teaching and books and all that, they cannot change your identity. <laughs> you have to be willing to look into that yourself. So if something really hurts you, upsets you, then ask yourself why and be willing to take some risks like Will Smith, you know, <laughs> be willing to go to the ends of the earth to find out if it disturbs you, if it doesn't disturb you, then, mm-hmm. then it's okay. Yeah. So it's important to start with yourself yes. and with your own Definitely. thought process. And of course yeah. your family, like you need to figure yeah. out what, what have you inherited? I mean, these things don't just happen in isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get taught these things mm-hmm. from your family, um, through the media, through the textbooks, through the movies, whatever you in- ingesting, you, you expose that, and that's all you know. You don't mm-hmm. really know what the reality is apart from the, the mediated information that you get through upbringing and further on. Mm-hmm. And I remember also with, um, when I taught in Germany, I was a substitute teacher, every morning, we had to make the kids watch the Tages show, which is the news channel, for 15 minutes. And I was horrified that this was just happening and there was no reflection, no discussion, no, but hang on a second, that's just one side of the story. Mm-hmm. None of that. Mm-hmm. And this is just, from my perspective, you could call that indoctrination, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it was so blatantly one-sided what you heard on this, on this news channels. This was before Corona. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I thought, okay, um, textbooks are in the same category in a way yeah. it's just an artifact yeah. so was this just passively taken on yes. by students because if, <laughs> when, if I understood uh, you correctly in your research it is most important that you actively as you said like Will Smith you actively go out and search for these, these structures that make up stereotypes but if you are used to just passively listening if I can call it that then you will never realize your own exactly. moral implications. Yes, happen. exactly. The only time you will realize it is if you get upset about some mm-hmm. insult or what you perceive as an insult, mm-hmm. then you should stop and say, oh, okay, why is that hurting me? Let, let me dig in deeper. And you will not be able to control the media or the textbooks or your teachers or your classroom, but you can control your reaction to what's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. And I think that's what you can do as teachers. Like I said, provide a safe environment Mm -hmm. where kids can discuss what has happened to them or what they find hurtful. Um, Even sexual stereotypes, I think many people are not even aware that what they say or how they behave might be hurtful to somebody else. So how are you going to know unless you talk about it? Yeah. I I have a question about the experience in South Africa because I I could imagine it being just sort of... uh, it's a rather extreme example, I suppose, but when you have, you've had that extremely racist past and society, 
and I imagine, I mean, the teacher would stay on in whatever position, I mean, would still be teaching, but suddenly, all of a sudden, there's a complete change in society, there's a complete change in probably the student or pupil demographic as well. And the narrative. Yeah, and the narrative, <laughs> exactly, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, just, it, how, did, how did that play out in, in your experience there? Yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult to say because I didn't really grow up there that much in terms of, I didn't inherit that heavy schooling. So I wasn't schooled in that racist kind of apartheid era. I went mm. to the German school and that even back then it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Mm. Um, yeah, you have a lot of conflict, not conflict, you have tensions. So it tends to get avoided. <laughs> How else do you make it functional in your classroom? You, you don't really address it because um, well, I think some people do, but then you're also not just offending black people, you can also offend Afrikaans people mm-hmm. or English people. So in South Africa, you don't just have a racial division, you also have an uh, English-Afrikaans division and then all kinds of other um, diversity issues. And also with the race, it's not just black and white, you know. Right. You have Indians, you have so-called colors, you have a whole range of different races, which you do also have in Netherlands here. And then you talk, you just have to talk about it. Yeah. You have but, to but look at the narratives. Let's see what has changed. <laughs> but in reality, it's probably the more easy, comfortable solution for most is to just not in the end talk about it. Then. Yeah, or just accept the new narrative and say, yes, everything um, that happened before was terrible and now everything's going to be fine, even yeah. though you know that's not quite true either. And um, that's what I found with the textbooks is that they've really gone to the other extreme where it was about, you know, now it's the white people who had fault for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they created this mess without looking at all the good things that happened, like technology and, you know, building up a whole country in terms of what we have grown used to as first world things. Everyone wants those things. People want their cell phones. They want to drive nice cars. They want to have roads. They want to have functional infrastructure and who created that? Mm-hmm. It's the Europeans who went there and did all that, whether for better or worse. So you can't cut all of that out. And, but with that technology, of course, came the oppression as well. Yeah. So how do you differentiate? I don't know. But that never really comes up either, this thing of technology driving the, che- the, the racism. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, it certainly is a, it's kind of an extreme case, I suppose, in many ways. And yeah, I'm... I'm, I'm Curious also to, to hear about uh, another, let's say, call it um, a very difficult uh, example. Uh, we talked about Germany before, uh, you talked about stereotypes towards Jewish people. I know there is a little bit of a debate in history education, so I also want to bring it back to, to sort of the classroom here with my question around, uh, and you, you've also, we talked about this earlier as well, how um, sort of um, sharing a stereotype in a sense, can also lead to the perpetuation mm-hmm. of a stereotype. Um, so my concrete question is is about, um, yeah, the, the typical cartoon stereotypes mm-hmm. of 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 the the Jew, let's say, uh, in, in in and you find this in many textbooks all across Europe. Um, and I know there is a discussion about around this whether whether this should be there in the first place, uh, because it is the danger that seeing this stereotype in a textbook in as an image 
will simply lead to a perpetuation of the stereotype, particularly when there are not many Jewish people actually around you, right? Um, and I just wanted to ask you, what's your what's your thought on this? Because yes. on the other hand, you're also we are also historians, and we we want to consider real actual sources, yeah. and these could also be meaningful in sharing with students what 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 are the signs for really serious discrimination of a certain group, an ethnic group or a religious group or whatever have you. So, yeah, I know it's a very difficult yes, question, no, but I, I, I'd be curious I to hear your, your position on it. So I would say yes, it is important to preserve the historical evidence in terms of knowing how Jews were uh, stereotyped in the previous century, but then also add the real what, what are Jewish persons really like or, or what Jewish people have achieved in the past, you know. Mention the, the amazing feats in science and in the arts, and mm -hmm. you know, get real. Don't just present the stereotype. Present the reality <laughs> next to it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And and also dig deep. I think the Jewish stereotype is really good because for for finding out what is fiction and what is fact, because those stereotypes. I mean, I'm just trying to picture something that you mentioned, but I'm not sure if you're referring to the same thing. Um, where do they come from and what was the purpose for creating them mm -hmm. and how are they still perpetuated today? Mm -hmm. um, I remember going to a conference with a colleague in Haifa, it was a conference in Israel, and when, when I went to Israel for the first time, I just saw beautiful people, you know, <laughs> I just saw amazingly stunning looking people. And yet this colleague of mine, he said something like, oh, um, I can't remember, it was something that reinforced the stereotype. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe it, like we'd be in the same place at the same time, seeing the same thing, and yet he was seeing the stereotypes and I was seeing something completely different. So yeah, I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> Probably, as you said earlier, this is maybe a clear case of a lot of people see what they want to see. And after all, stereotypes have, they, they do fulfill the purpose of making the world easier to understand, to exactly. reduce the complex to some very specific characteristics. And maybe this stands at the basis for even if you, act, you actively see something different, your brain still works in the same patterns and tries to fit whatever you see into these exactly. old patterns. That is why these exchange trips also don't necessarily have the desired outcome. Mm -hmm. When you meet other people, but if they don't fit into your scheme, then you're not going to change your scheme. You're going to change how that person looks to you <laughs> and if you want to change your scheme it takes effort it takes a mm -hmm. real conscious decision to do yeah. that mm. and yeah it also involves some discomfort at first because you yeah. you have to realize that you're the one who held the wrong image that you the one and i want to quote from that paper that i wrote because i really think this sums it up about these people in the concentration camps who were beaten for no reason, but you don't have to go that far. You can talk about any kind of mistreatment of somebody. And it says here, when you wrong people for no reason, sooner or later you must come to hate them. It is difficult for men to endure the idea that he's a beast and maltreats another human being without cause. Therefore, he imputes the fault to his victim. So you don't start off by hating someone, you start off by behaving badly towards someone and then to justify your behavior, you blame it on them. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's, a, that's the short psychology of it. 
I'm, I'm, I know this is a, it's a very difficult topic, but I'm, it's talking about this, I'm also thinking about the context we are, we are in at the moment in, in Europe. Teachers are, so just for the background, we, we've been contacted by a lot of people in our network, teachers who, who yeah, they have to talk about the current uh, war yes, that yeah. is happening in Europe, uh, in Ukraine, uh, with, with Russia, of course. And in this context, there is also a lot of feelings and emotions. Um, there is perhaps even a tendency that is, is an ugly side of it, is that you see uh, a little bit of... Um, Russophobia happening in different parts of Europe. How can teachers very concretely deal with that in, in a classroom, do you think? Well, the first thing I would do is switch off the TV. <laughs> 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 because they're just going to feed it and make it worse. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, this idea of generalizing to a whole nation based on a few individuals is really, really a tough one, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know, I don't have the answers to that one. Um, I know there's Russians who are on this side and on the other side, but again, I don't think people want to take sides, really. They just mm. want to live their lives. You know, we all want the same thing in a way. We want to be safe, we want to be fed, we want to have a purpose, we want to be loved. And some people, some leaders, want more than that. <laughs> um, power and authority and all that. You don't have to go there. So, yeah, this idea of hating people because of the images you see of them or, or because of what you think someone is doing to them without even knowing that it's happening. Mm. For example, this photo, um, video clip of this German lady who'd just come back from the Ukraine dropping off truckloads of supplies. And she was, she was shocked. She, she was so shocked because she said we went there and we went to the collection site and it was just like dumps and dumps of heaps of stuff that nobody cared about. And it was nice stuff. They collected new stuff and beautiful things, books and clothes and medicine and tools and whatever was on the list of. And when they arrived there, it was just like nobody cared about it. Nobody wanted it. They looked at it, they opened it and then tossed it aside. So there's a big discrepancy between what you see on the news mm -hmm and what is really happening yeah. on the ground. And I think as history teachers, we have a responsibility to, to deal with it. Yeah. Would you say that uh, misinformation or even the internet or social media in general is an additional problem for stereotype education? Yes, for sure. Those are the best mediums to really perpetuate them. Mm. And you, you even see it. I, I, mean, I went off Facebook when this pandemic started because I just started to see this really scary development of people splitting into these two groups mm. and, and really hating each other for, yeah, yeah. for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked by that. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to be part of that. So I, I discontinued my account and I haven't logged in since. That was two years ago. Yeah. But, <laughs> and I don't regret it. That again is a very conscious and active decision. Exactly. Because... Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and I can tell you now, I'm a much freer person. Mm -hmm. Also because mm -hmm. I don't spend my time checking every little story that the, you know, your friends post and what they had for lunch and yeah. now I can do more important things. But yeah, it's very dangerous what's going on in the media. I suppose in some ways it's also where history education can come in and play a role though and in some ways to, yeah, the, the very 
methodology of yes, our disciplines and fact checking and going back to the sources and, and yeah reflecting critically on what you find yes. and contrasting exactly. it with different views yes yes so yeah that's what you can do so uh, don't try to be scientific by thinking you can uncover the past for what it was because you cannot mm. <laughs> uh, instead focus on the arrangement intention purpose and meaning of a piece of narrative analyze it for what it is look at it from different angles and then use judgment criteria that you would for the literary arts. Um, and I want to read an assignment that one of my teachers, when I did my teaching degree, I had a very good history teacher. She was one of those gems, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave us the most amazing assignments to do. Can I read you one of them? Or Please, just do, so yeah. Please do. Yeah. Okay, so the topic was globalization, and we had to develop a lesson plan for grade eight or nine. Is that how you call them here? Ninth, eighth, ninth grade, okay, so it says here, design your own character who lives somewhere either in Africa or Asia, whose life has been affected by globalization, either positively or negatively, or perhaps both. Give your character a name, an age, physical description, a specific town, country, etc., to live and a family. The character should appeal to a learner in the senior phase, which is about 14 or 15, Describe your character in about half a page, in terms of the given above. Then write a life story for your character for about two pages. Make it readable for learner in the senior phase. And then come up with issues about the globalization. So that was just so nice. So now a child can relate to that. Here's a mm -hmm. life story. Mm -hmm. And you're weaving the problems of the history of, the, of globalization or whatever your topic is into the story. And I think that's about the best you can do. <laughs> in terms of not, not using history for what it cannot do. I think it's, it's really important to not just look at stereotypes and stereotype education uh, and of course deconstructing it and learning about it and looking at your own individual way of thinking in general, but specifically, and you address that in your text, specifically how children's attitudes are formed. And in that regard, how can how can teachers be mindful of how their children, how their pupils come to form and uh, disseminate the stereotypes? Because this is, I can imagine, a very different mm -hmm. uh, process than for adults. Yes. So a teacher has a limited influence in terms of that because remember, kids most of their stuff comes from their families. Mm -hmm. So don't try and be over ambitious. To change something that is so ingrained in, in a child. Be realistic with your expectations. <laughs> That's the first thing I would advise. <laughs> and then just to come back to um, if if you've noticed that a child really has some some stereotypes that you know towards women or whatever, um, try and identify or try and get the child to identify where they heard that from. Where where is where does that come from? Because if you want to undo something, you have to get to the source of it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't just treat the symptoms. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of history education does. Exactly, it just, yes. It's just covering it up. It's just like giving pills to, to make you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not really getting to the cause of it. And the cause of it is somewhere in your neural connection, you have made this connection <laughs> in your mm -hmm. brain. Um, we don't know where it comes from, but you do. A lot of it happens subconsciously, so you might not even know, especially for your child. You're probably not aware of it. We as adults are not even aware of it. Um, I can tell you a little story of the one time when I became really aware of a stereotype and I was shocked. <laughs> a 
it's just, it's not a good example in terms of history teaching, but it was something like my mother always told me that oh, you mustn't go to Christian church because they just want your money. Okay. <laughs> so okay. And then so so church was not really part of my life until later when I met my husband who, who did go to church and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try this now. <laughs> and then when I went to the church and the first time they talked about money, immediately I thought, oh, they're just after my money. <laughs> and then I really had to think about where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And I really had to think hard. And I remember my mother telling me these things yeah. over the years. And I thought, okay, no, that was just your mother who told you that. It doesn't mean it's like that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So I had to really consciously yeah. undo that. And then once I identified the source of it, then I, then I could get rid of it. Then it was gone. <laughs> so that stuck with you for, for yeah. a long time. And, yeah. and then other things as well. You, you yeah. get programmed. Literally, yeah. you get yeah. programmed <laughs> since mm. you're a child. And now with the social media, it's not even the family that has so much influence, but all your peers on your Instagram and your Facebook and whatever else mm -hmm. you're part of. And that is your world. <laughs> Yeah. So you're very detached from the real world. Mm. And I don't know if history teachers can really change that, to be honest, because it involves much more than yeah. reading your history book. <laughs> Media literacy is a, is a host on the <laughs> And kids don't want to read, you know, they want to yeah. watch things. And news, by the way, also yeah. artifacts, they're created, yeah. <laughs> they're narrated, yeah. they have a purpose, they have an intention. I think it's it's good to be to have a realism about what what the teacher can do and what history yeah. can do and yeah there's only so much mm -hmm. in, exactly in the face but of even that. if you just as a teacher offer the, the space for the child to talk about mm -hmm. being either affected by stereotypes or yeah. struggling with holding stereotypes yeah um, even that I think is a big contribution. Excellent. Thank you very much for sharing uh, some of your, your experiences while teaching and researching in, in different countries and, and also just your general um, take on, on a topic that we are tackling now with, uh, with our webinar series and thematic month.